Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and well-being. We are so glad you're listening. This episode, we'll be picking up where we left off last time with the subject of forgiveness. In part two, we'll be discussing the posture of asking for forgiveness, how to avoid weaponizing it against other people, and how to seek it in both situations big and small. As always, here are Michael McCord, Lindsay Geist, and Evan DeYoung. Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone Podcast, the podcast with Lindsay and Michael, where they fix my life. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I am Evan DeYoung, and I am joined most weeks, as usual, by Lindsay Geist and Michael McCord. Would you give us some words of wisdom to the people? Just like general words of wisdom. <laughs> Just kidding. Just say hello. Just say hello. I was trying to think desperately of something. I was like, do I have wise anything wise? And a bit snarky, but you know. everybody should have like a, a go-to mantra. Like you should have something ready, like a like a little turn of phrase or a one-liner that's really smart. You you can feel two sit feelings at once or sit in it. <laughs> sit in it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Oh uh, goodness gracious! Can I tell you a quick story? Just because it's 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 uh forgiveness adjacent or, or uh you know episode That's two on forgiveness. We're talking about this week. That's what so we're talking about. Go ahead, yeah. Michael. Yeah. So I just think permission this is to story. I, this is this says a lot about me, probably as a parent. But Ellie, my daughter, has been kind of well. She just she's been some boys have been making fun of her a lot uh, about being a girl and about how she plays basketball and all those sort of you know st- st- stupid fifth grade elementary school kind of stuff and it really bothers her i shouldn't say stu- i shouldn't be flippant it really bothers her she's really upset about it so i've been i you know for a while i've been taking this like just don't let it bother you let's let's like do something different when they're around like this like sort of passive response and that hasn't been going well so i've decided to take a different approach because it mostly happens in her karate her after school karate program and so now i have <laughs> trained her to come up with some snarky responses to when they make fun of her. Like one of the things they like to say to her is that she's an ugly, she's an ugly girl. And that she looks like, a, oh yeah, it's awful. Some of the stuff oh they do is gosh. awful. Oh my gosh. Kids yeah, are terrible. They're, they're awful. They're awful. And what I've tried to do is like, so now, now her response when somebody calls her ugly, is she's like, <laughs> she's like, I know. Everybody tells me I look just like my dad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That and does not I, fix any of this, but that is it, hilarious. It does not fix. What it does for her is she regains control of the situation yes. and she laughs about it. And mm-hmm. it utterly throws those boys off. They have no idea. Like, they're like, oh, you shoot like a girl. It's like. Oh yeah, but I'm beating you. So what does that say about you? Are you yeah. scared of girls? Girls, do girls intimidate you? And do you like girls? Do you like me? Like just, <laughs> and it just throws them off. And I'm like, this is the only way. Like I've got to somehow give her some control back because she can't just. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's hilarious. I love that she's like, yeah, I know people say that I look just like my dad. I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> it's great, oh, witty oh and goodness. nimble. I love it. I love it. So they're my well, words of wisdom. That's great. I 
the only one that I have this go to is I was reading a book on toasts when I first turned twenty one and would was drinking and things like that. The phrase I'm like was, giving a toast. Yeah, I, yeah. They, they the phrase was uh, a gentleman never turns down a free drink, nor does he scoff at its quality. Now, okay, I have a comment about that later. oh my goodness well it it, so this all makes me think about as we move into this forgiveness and sort of sort of a little bit more practical focus on on how to how to offer forgiveness i think of this this bible passage and i i wish i I should have pulled it up for you but it talks about you know be kind to those who hurt you because it's like like heaving stones of hot coal on them which i just always think is like such a fascinating mm-hmm. like image of like uh i don't know you know tooth for tooth eye for an eye kind of thing which is not how i think of forgiveness or kindness like it's a weird juxtaposition but thinking about ellie's situation in this whole like you come back at them just as much as they come back at, as they come at you but do it in a way that's trying to be you know witty and funny and it just how it simmers in them and just completely changes them. And so I, 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 uh, I think about that in forgiveness as we talk about it, it's like, what is it like to really forgive someone, especially like our friends or those close acquaintances who hurt us or just those kind of, you know, bullies. We just have bullies in our, I mean, everyone does. Everyone has those people that pester you and just go after you for whatever reason, mostly based out of their hurt. But to be, to offer kindness and forgiveness to them is that is it like heaping coals on top of their heads? Is that where in a way in which it makes them? Is that what we're aiming for, or is it is it the heat that's required to create change in their own lives? Hmm. I, I mean, I think anybody that you spend time with, you're gonna have little disagreements, or it's not even really disagreements or arguments. People are just different, and when people spend time together, over time. People will do things that get on your nerves. It doesn't really matter who it is or when it is. It could be your family. It could be podcast hosts. It could be coworkers. <laughs> it could be anything. Your dog. I mean, it, I just think <laughs> I don't, who's on. Michael's pointing to his right. I'll let is you. I'll me? let you decide. Is that who's, Lindsay? Who's on? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which Brady Bunch box you're pointing to. I, it reminds me of when I was younger, and my mom would know when I had been spending too much time with my friends, like we had hung out every day or had a sleepover, then hung out because we would get fussy with each other. Like kids just get fussy with their friends and you'll just, you just need some space. A lot of times she's like, why don't we take a break? And it's like, no, I want to hang out with my friends. She's like, you guys need a break. Just hang out tomorrow. And it was those little things that you have to do to maintain relationship where people need space. And those little areas of forgiveness where sometimes people do things that are just kind of their nature that really aren't that big a deal. But I think we also just kind of have to forgive them for the fact that the way that they are on some things doesn't really sit with the way that we are. And it's not major consequential stuff. I think if you've been married or in a relationship for a long time, there's habits and patterns that you get into with your spouse and yourself. And I think that forgiveness is a big part of this. That is an aspect of forgiveness. I don't want to I, give I any examples. Say, for the record, Holly, nobody has, Evan's never said anything with regard to 
to to things that annoy. I know that I drive my wife absolutely insane. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the definition of love, my friends, is that people drive you absolutely insane, but you still love them and you still want to be with them. That's that's the real definition of love. Because you're right. I mean, I, I absolutely right. Like I know I annoy the mess out of people and the things I do, the way I think. Um that I'm Evan makes fun of me because I don't encounter anything in life where I'm not constantly thinking about how it could be better. So he's whole made a game of it. For, it's my favorite. For it's us. one of my favorite parts of Michael. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, it's, I can't do anything about it. It's who I am, but I know it grates on people's nerves and, and there's not much, I mean, I, I can attempt to be more aware when I'm around people, but it's also a quality of me that I think helps me in my work. So it's, it's, you know, that's the thing about being who you are is, is it is both uh, both things at the same time, right, Lindsay? But, uh, it is that they're both helpful and hurtful, I, and forgiveness is important to that in a relationship. So even hearing about you know all of our quirks and naming them and how they can impact other people and drive other people crazy, it makes me think that um, in forgiveness, a lot of the times that we are hurt by other people. Um, and, and we can flip it to us hurting people we love as well. But a lot of times when we feel hurt, uh, it is not often caused by the other person intentionally trying to hurt us. I, I don't think that, um, and maybe this is naive of me, and y'all can tell me if you think differently. Um, but I don't think that people spend that much time all the time trying to think about how they're hurting other people. Like that takes a lot of brain power uh, to redirect your life in an attempt to hurt other people. I think most of the time we've been hurt. Others have hurt us unintentionally, mostly because we are, as human beings, we're usually selfish and self-centered, um, sometimes in a healthy way, sometimes not. We can talk about that some other day. Um, but we often operate with like blinders on. And so when we operate with blinders on, we can hurt all sorts of people in our path simply because we're not aware or we're too self-focused. Well, and I think, I mean, personally, when I think about the way I hurt other people, it's, and I, sometimes sadly, I'm, I recognize I'm doing it too. Uh, but I probably most of the time I don't recognize right off the bat, but I really hurt the people I love the most because, because I'm, I've been hurt somewhere else. You know, mm -hmm. if I have a really difficult work day or in this encounter with somebody uh, in, in, in that's really painful or hurtful, and then I come home from work or, and by that, I mean, I go upstairs and, <laughs> and then Emily's <laughs> home and Emily is somebody I love and trust. And I blow up at her, not because I'm mad at her, but because I'm mad at the hurt that I experienced somewhere else, but it was, I, it had to go somewhere like the hurt the hurt has to go somewhere. It's going to, it, it's, um, you know, it's like water. It's going to find a way out, whether it's, you know, whether you control the release of that hurt in some kind of practice of forgiveness, or it's going to lash itself out at somebody else. And those somebody else is usually someone you trust the most because subconsciously you're like, Oh, I can, I can hurt my wife. I can hurt my best friend because they've always been my best friend. They're, they're, they're committed to me. And so that's generally we feel safe to let that that happen. Um, 
It is weird how pain is a bit of a vortex. I guess it's a misery loves company, but do when you experience pain, a lot of the time you just don't want to be alone in it. So we're we unintentionally or intentionally find ways to create pain or hurt that isn't productive. I think for me personally, when I'm in that kind of space, I just don't want to make mistakes in conversation. So I just don't talk at all. Mm. I, I it's, it's, it's so I, I withdraw more than anything else. And that's been kind of my primary coping mechanism is if I know that I probably shouldn't trust what's going to come out of my mouth right now, let me just not say anything at all. And that's, probably a better step than lashing out right but i think where i'm at in my 30s the next evolution of that is having a nice mature response and knowing how to project that i need some space so that my withdrawing in itself is not painful and people aren't concerned that they've done something to like offend me but be able to communicate hey i'm just not in a great headspace nothing's wrong i'll talk about it when i'm ready but i just need a minute and a lot of the time i I don't know I can't think of anything more horrific than Evan not wanting to talk to me. Hmm. <laughs> you know, like so. So I, I just think that I just think it's interesting because, like, you're if 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 you went radio silence because I did something wrong, and in your mind you're like, I just can't say anything to him because I can't. I've just got to get. I got to create some distance. Like if that's the most. That's the easiest way for me. To deal with this, I cannot think. Of, I couldn't think of anything more, more scary or hurtful to go through than than silence. Also, for y'all, that would be super strange since you. It would be both like you both do like all of life together. I don't know how many minutes a day you probably are on the phone with one another, um, or together in real life, or like on vacation together. But it's true. If one of y'all was silent to the other person, um. I mean, that's like the band breaking up. It'd be real real traumatic. The other day, Roosevelt, my dog, thought that I was going to try and, I guess, give him a bath. Or I used my tone that I used to try and get him out of a certain room. Uh, My wife, Holly, and I were isolating from each other because she had to go to the hospital and help family out who needed some help. Everything's fine. Uh, But... We weren't on. The, we were staying on separate floors so that we didn't accidentally cross contaminate each other with COVID because she just couldn't get COVID. Like it just couldn't happen. So we had to kind of isolate from each other for a couple of days before she left town. And he did not know what to do. Like he was like, "Why are you downstairs? And why is she up here? And why at night are you staying downstairs and she's up here?" So I went upstairs and I was like, "Hey, buddy, come here, come here." And he was like, "No." Like, I am not leaving this room. And that is not him, you know? And I I think that's pretty similar. It's like when your dog, (laughs) when your dog doesn't trust you. Something's off. You're like, how do you, how do you, my dog, not trust me? (laughs) Well, I kind of pointed that because I think Emily's family goes silent when things aren't right. My family yells. So, mm. so when, now I'm, I don't actually 
I don't I don't mean that like a like a an Italian yell like we get loud <laughs> you know we, we talk with our hands you ate um, my cannoli <laughs> I'm Italian but, I can do that voice and I did so the when, Italian when, hand when, when Emily and I hit conflict you know her her go-to is to be quiet your what your go-to is and it's the absolute like worst thing you could do for me and then I just talk I talk I say everything that I'm feeling I just like throw it all out there which is absolutely the worst thing I could do for her. And so like learning how to communicate that, uh-huh. that whole difference of approach when wounded is, is, a, is a challenging kind of aspect of our relationship. I think so much about all of this pain and the process of forgiveness, uh, kind of like a pressure cooker, or I mean, I guess it, an instant pot. Um, that that everything's heating up inside and we have a choice of how to release the valve. Mm. Um, Which is the best part of using a pressure cooker is getting to go and release mm -hmm. the pressure. But I mean, if you never release the pressure, I mean, I guess in theory, the whole thing would blow up. Uh, Oh no, it, it does. That's one of the common ways to make a bomb. Correct. I mean, there's a few other elements involved, but that's not neither here nor there. Um, so we have, <laughs> we have a choice of how we're going to release that steam. Um, if we release it too late, it's going to, I mean, have you ever done that where it's like hit you in the face of something where it's like, oh, that was too intense. Um, and so it's really about learning coping skills of how am I going to release and address this hurt and pain? Uh, or is it going to blow up and explode? Um, and I think forgiveness is really about uh, saying, okay, I am going to find a way to release some of the pressure instead of I'm just going to let the pressure cooker uh, cook until it explodes. Cause then it's just messy. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the interesting thing about little micro forgiveness, I'm going to call it micro forgiveness compared to macro okay. forgiveness because I don't, I think that's the way that my brain's thinking about it right now. Because we talked a lot about macro forgiveness uh, with Desmond Tutu and his daughter and the, the, the book that they wrote around the murdering of uh, somebody who worked with them. I think you said it was their housekeeper. Mm -hmm. Like that, like that's very macro. Someone was murdered and that's forgiveness. You know, someone stole, someone did something majorly wrong. But I don't – I'm very grateful that this isn't the case, but I don't have to interact with massive macro forgiveness all the time. But when we talk about forgiveness, it's often about these big, grand wrongs that were done. Yeah. But, but really, we need to interact with micro forgiveness probably more than anything else because that's what we deal with. And so I don't know if it's a – if it's just a easier off-ramp that we're able to – understand and it seems foreign so we could talk about the concept of forgiveness without actually having to deal with it in its reality for our personal lives however i don't oftentimes know what to do with little micro forgiveness because it is the same energy it's that same spike of emotion or fear or worry that happens when something big goes down, but it's just constant. It's little things that build. And 
they connect to each other. Because if we don't deal with the micro forgiveness, it does seem that we start to build a narrative around what's happening in our head over time. Absolutely. I mean, I think when I think about like the, the couples that I've worked with over the years, there is this, um, like if there's, uh, an affair in the relationship or there's some kind of like loss of a job or some kind of real like profound hurt, like the macro level events, though that generally they openly talk about that, that they will come and they'll, they'll talk about it or they'll just talk about it in their relationship or there's like avenues in which that comes up. But uh, some of the more challenging times I've encountered couples who are in distress is that they have gone, you know, five years building up this list of microaggressions, these, these things that like, Oh, you know, he never, never, he never does the dishes. She always puts the toilet paper on the wrong way. Like all these like little, they seem, they seem insignificant, but because they're never really talked about, they grow in their power and they start, mm-hmm. they're like that, um, that, that there's a commercial. It's like a big ball of stuff. It's like rolling down the street. It starts just picking up more and more stuff. And it starts to create this like, oh, well, he snores, you know, and I can't stand the fact he snores and he won't roll over, you know. And then it's just like you just start searching. You get into this mode where you like you identify all these flaws and they just kind of sit there and they get they get more and more painful and you just hold on to him. And and so it it just becomes much more. First of all, it's more realistic that couples are going to endure that kind of stuff than something major and traumatic. They're going to endure those micro things that drive us crazy. And in our society, we don't talk about how to deal with those small things, how to bring them up, how to have honest conversation about the things that irritate us. You know, what we do in our society generally is, you know, if you have a friend who annoys the mess out of you, you just stop hanging out with them. But if you're mm-hmm. married to that friend <laughs> and you stop hanging out with them because uh, it makes they don't it awkward in your house, it makes it really awkward in the house and your dog starts getting freaked out. <laughs> and your kids. Okay, listen, this, that was an act of love <laughs> so that we didn't infect a whole hospital. It was it was really generous of you. Yes. I really didn't like it, though. I guess it means I still love my wife. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> looking for a litmus test. I guess if you were looking for that, that was that's the evidence. Well, I think, I think specifically of a moment in my relationship with Emily, probably... I'm guessing like five, maybe six years into our marriage, you know, they always talk about if you make it past seven, that's a big, that's a big, you know, leap to make it past seven years and the seven year itch or whatever they call it. Is that what they call it, Lindsay? It is, but I don't, I don't know if that's folklore or there's been like enough data around that. I don't know either, but it felt, you know, six years, you're pretty, you're pretty far into this relationship at this point. And you you have a pretty, pretty thick catalog of the things that we, do to annoy to each other and i can remember us going through a pretty hard point in our relationship and we this this one night in particular where we just both like we're just gonna lay everything out on the table like everything that annoys us everything that frustrates us the things that we wish like we did we this is both a good idea and a terrible idea as is all things right both things yes both things can be true at the same time but i i I loved it. It changed the whole dynamic of our relationship where we felt like we could talk about these things. Um, 
And I, and I realized how much I had built up all these little things that created a narrative that built a storyline that, you know, was in this point, harming our relationship, creating a barrier between us. And we had at some point, let some of that stuff out and, and talk about it because to your point, Evan, um, most of the time we, and, and Lindsay, I think maybe you said this too. Most of the time we don't know that we're hurting other people. Mm-hmm. She, I didn't know that the way I hung the toilet paper was aggravating to her. Actually, she Which, knew that the way she hung it. It was aggravating to me because I was pretty clear about that. I, I may have missed this, but I just want to, for clarity's sake, which way was it? Were you an over or under guy? Over. Toilet over is correct. correct. To be over. Yeah, over is yeah. correct. Under, correct. I don't know who does that. Emily does. Emily she actually, left, she Emily left-handed? doesn't care. Emily doesn't care. Emily just puts it on if we're lucky. I don't understand okay. how that's possible. Yeah. How do you not care? A lot of people that are left-handed will do it under oh, rather than over. Listen, left-handed people are just wrong. So, oh, we're going to lose an entire <laughs> sector of sure. our listening group. Okay, <laughs> it's, a, it's a recessive it's in the gene anyway. So that it goes over. <laughs> oh my goodness! Like the patent filing for the toilet paper thing. Okay, why is over. this relevant to forgiveness? I mean, it is because this could be your make or break. Because I think it is relationship a, like but... a like a point. I I cannot tell you because when you're sitting there, Lindsay, and you're listening to a couple talk about these things, you got to be like, oh my gosh, you're really upset about the toilet paper. Lindsay doesn't oh. do couples counseling if she can avoid it. <laughs> 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 because stuff like this drives me bananas. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that is the thing. That is what most of us actually deal with most of the time. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about forgiveness, we talk about all these people in the Bible who do these giant murderers. We don't talk about how that, like Noah and his wife probably yarped at each other on the ark. Like, <laughs> I mean, that is so true that we only really talk about forgiveness on these grand scales. Um, and... Every time you hear an example of it, it's uh, lately, it's like at a trial where somebody's been murdered Um, um, or uh, even like a woman that has been attacked or raped. And uh, it's like family or friends forgiving the perpetrator. Um, Some kind of violence. Or we expect. it's it's like we expect uh, people to forgive violence or be able to move past it, um, and it's amazing how we talk about the narrative when people don't mm-hmm. move past it. It's like, can you believe them still wanting justice and or still wanting to have a harsh consequence? Don't you think that they've had enough? Um, and there will never be equal justice to most of these big harms. Do you guys ever uh-huh. weaponize your forgiveness? Tell me more. Okay. So I think a lot of the time in the way that I think about forgiveness, it's more uh, patronizing than it is anything else. And, and I'll weaponize it in my mind. Uh, and for all my, I don't, for my friends and family who listen to this, this is not applied to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just great caveat. Just I just I just don't I think it's important to say that I don't walk around thinking this way. But it's mainly for people that like you have like a one time thing. Um, you see somebody treat somebody in public a certain way or something like that, and you, you realize there's harm there. And 
I will weaponize it in my mind internally and say, I forgive you not only for the action, but for not being mature enough to do the work to not be the way you are. (laughs) Oh, so kind of forgiving, but super condescending. Yeah. An extra dig thrown in. Oh yeah. That's in my mind. And it makes me feel morally superior. Uh, And that's not real forgiveness and probably not helpful for anyone. Yeah. But all the time, all the time. And I think it's, it's a high, it's a way of taking the high road that's like pompous and arrogant and it's like a higher high road. And I think it happens all the time and we never talk about it. We never talk about how that happens. And in the church, especially, and in these religious communities or especially in, um, Oh, I'll just name it, especially with like progressive thinking, like politically, this like whole, like this is the way that we treat each other in the world. And so we're just secretly literally judging everyone because they've caused us hurt. It's like I never, I got bullied in school and I never had a way to like let it out. So now I just do it on Twitter all day. Mm-hmm. And, and conversely, uh, the religious right is also often with withholding of of grace to certain types of people. And so you oh, and you this, very actively doing yeah, harm. <laughs> very openly, yeah. You know, I think particularly the LGBTQ community, there's this, there's a really, you know, we we talk about as Christians the the importance of forgiveness that that Jesus died for our sins so that we could live a freer life. Uh, but then there's all these conditions that we set as as Christians about who actually can experience that forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're a person of color, if you're from a certain part of the world, if you uh, in love with someone who you shouldn't be in love with by by their by their parameters, then we limit that experience of forgiveness. And that certainly is is an insider outsider, uh, a, a better than less than kind of framework that we use around forgiveness. And that becomes forgiveness becomes a weapon. It's incredible. The source material, how much we just hurt each other. It's it's so sad. It's complicated about the things that we like forgive other people for or don't forgive them for. I mean, I think back to our uh, purity culture episodes of uh, how does the church handle somebody that uh, in a, in a church that believes that sex should wait till marriage, um, how does the church talk about somebody that has had sex before marriage. Mm. Sometimes they'll say like, I'll forgive you for your choices or God will forgive you. Um, But it's interesting that that's done in a dig rather than um, uh, believing that other people are wrong when Mm -hmm. the person, the individual that may have had sex prior to marriage may feel like that choice was not a healthy choice for them, or they might feel like it was really healthy mm-hmm. for them. Um, but others are use, I think we use the word forgiveness inappropriately sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, like forgiveness equals approval. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I won't forgive you on this or why we don't want to forgive people. Mm-hmm. Because if we forgive somebody, then it implies that we're approving of it. Ooh. Oh, yeah. The, I think. 
excuse me, I'm sitting in this. <laughs> or if we approve things, we it's uh, it's like saying that um, it didn't hurt us. Like if we forgive somebody, that it, it's implying that it didn't hurt that much and I'm beyond it. it. It's almost like every belief system and ideology is comprised of humans and humans are always going to be human. I mean, can you believe it that our human nature will always show up? Well, and I love it too. I love I mean, that. story I love, of Lent. I, <laughs> our I, humanity really is here. Grateful that, you know, Michael's like, yeah, and here's where I see it here, and here's where I see it here. And it's the awareness of it within any prevalent system, even the ones that we believe in or belong to, that has to be a part of how we move forward and get better. But I just don't. I don't know if I ever really, I guess I'm questioning if I ever really saw it or if I think it used to be better. And I'm, and I'm, I think what's been really painful for me personally about the last, I'll just say my thirties, my thirties is I realized I didn't really see it much of anywhere, but we were on a retreat this weekend and Sam Dawkins, uh, who's a, a friend of ours, he gave a message and he talked about how when we put our faith more in people and institutions than in Jesus, that that's where disappointment will kind of grow from. That's not exactly what he said, but I have it written down, but I'll find it. Um, And it was a very convicting moment for me because I realized that the faith that I have or should have and ascribe to a perfect creator and savior I was trying to squeeze out of people and institutions, which will always leave me hollow and disappointed because just can't have it. And so there's a level of forgiveness there that is kind of a constant process that I probably need to engage with more. I I guess what I'd say is I'm probably not forgiving actively enough in little ways. And probably waiting until it bothers me too much to then need to engage with forgiveness. I'm only doing the triage when it comes to forgiveness. I'm not doing the maintenance and the life of it. So how do we know that we're in the act of forgiveness? I know that we've touched on this and circled around this some, um, but I still wrestle with um, like, how do we offer forgiveness or how do we know that we're forgiving? And um I keep going back. I mean, I know I've referenced before the book of forgiving by Desmond Tutu and his daughter. Um, But they say, uh, they use the phrase, how do we know when true forgiveness has taken root in our hearts and minds? Um, Which was powerful to me. And they said the weight of it, um, how much it's kind of consuming you, a feeling of peace. Um when you wish the other person well or don't wish them harm anymore, Hmm. you may not wish them well, but you might, as long as you no longer wish them harm, we have all been there. If we are being totally honest, when we're like, I hope something bad happens to them. Um, Can't say that out loud, Lindsay. (laughs) You don't. Okay. Maybe I will confess myself. It was a joke. It was a Um, joke. And how do we also know that forgiveness has taken root in our hearts and minds? We know we're healing when we're able to tell a new story. Michael's eyes didn't light up on the telling a new story the way that I thought they might. I'm sorry. 
I'm going down a rabbit trail in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I mean, his eyes didn't light up, but I totally saw everything connecting where he's like, oh, this, then this, then this, then yeah, you can watch it happening. That's the sad part about this podcast is that it's not visual to watch some of our faces at times when you, it is very I'm clear glad, what I'm is glad happening. You couldn't see my face. Just, <laughs> I just, I, I, um, because I think we, we talked at the open about moving to some of the practical things. I was just sitting here thinking about like what you were talking about in how we stir forgiveness in us because mm. it, it's a, sometimes it feels like a monumental lift to even like begin to broach the idea of forgiveness. And what, what I was thinking about while this conversation was happening was um, kind of a phrase from, from last time where we talked about, you know, forgiveness is breaking the cycle of hurt is that we know that these, these people who hurt us are coming at us. We talked about this. We cut, we, I go, I go to the people I love the most people cut people create hurt because they are hurt. And for me, maybe the, the first place to help us start to think about forgiveness is to create some space of tenderness, I guess, where we can see the other person as someone who is hurt as well. And then start to tell a different story about that person than we may have experienced before. Um, and, and the reason this pops up as I was thinking about this um, this trial that's going on. We, we all live in Georgia in this Arbery trial where a man was gunned down by three white people has just been in my mind a lot lately because I'm too well acquainted with racism, white racism in in our state in my own life experiences and thinking about this the tragedy of that story and every time i've i've kind of got back to to it is that i first had to realize that that there must have been a long story of hurt that existed in those three individuals lives that led to that tragic moment and it's the only way I've been able to approach that story with any sense. It's created a space, a little buffer for me to start to change the story um, about what happened there and how we can begin to like, cause I think about that family talking about forgiveness with them. And I'm like, I don't know how you could forgive them. But then I think creating that space of realizing that we got here because a long lineage of hurt has been bestowed upon many, many generations of people to lead to that place. And that story has got to change at some point. How do you think we start to recognize those things in our own lives, the seeds of what leads to that and practice that self-forgiveness? Because there's an awareness piece and then there's an actionable piece. I just don't... I don't know. Well, I yeah i think that that self-awareness is really a powerful tool if you could get to that place where you realize i do these things in large part because i experience these things in formative parts of my life one of those you know earlier i talked about like a, this idea of improvement this this that i look at things always make things better i think largely stems from the the loss of 
part of it's just who I am, how I how I've, how I've been wired. But part of that may be the the loss of my father at a young age, believing I have limited mm-hmm. amount of time to make the world a better place, and so I got to do whatever I can do when I can do it. And that so that stems from a place of hurt, right? I experienced hurt, great hurt, when I was twelve years old, and that shaped who I am as a person. And that often creates harm in other people because I'm constantly moving and I'm constantly driving, mm-hmm. constantly trying to make things better from my perspective, which my perspective of better is not always better. It's just different. And so being aware that that hurt that was ex- that I experienced has absolutely shaped who I am as a person and how I interact with other people. Mm-hmm. I think our past hurts um, and things that shaped us when we name them as long as we're not using them as an excuse, but rather an explanation of how we were shaped. Those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, oh, I did this because, um, you know, I, because my dad died when I was young, as you know, you would say, Michael, that's why I, you know, do X, Y, and Z. It's Mm -hmm. when when he died, it shaped me and I had to learn how to react one way. And therefore that's still causing me to react away. Um, again, I think that if we don't use it in excuse language, like I'll never be able to change or it's just circumstances fault. No, it's how we adapted and grew in that. Um, yeah. I, I think it goes back to the last episode about those four steps. And the first is remembering, right. Mm-hmm. To, to, to say what happened. And I think, you know, the idea of remembering that is to bring things back together into one cohesive storyline, that process for us to remember what has happened to us and mm-hmm. how we got here is, is the first step, right? The second yeah. step is then to actually name the hurt that's, that's being caused mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. that that those actions, the collective actions of ourselves. Well, when it comes to forgiveness too, in my experience so far in life, which is very limited is, but very real to me. And it's all Mm -hmm. I've got change and forgiveness in our lives is rarely surgical. It's, it's not, that awareness and then the desire to change and then the way that forgiveness happens, it isn't precise. It's not like we we identify the part of our life that needs to change and then we consult with someone on it and then we figure out exactly what it is and we figure out the best way to go in and and remove the part that needs to change or make the tweak that happens and then it's stitched up nicely and then we have anesthesia to help with the pain afterwards. It, it's not. It, it's typically a lot more emotionally, I'll just say emotionally violent or abrupt or mm-hmm. broad or catastrophic, it usually kind of sh- shakes out in a way that is more like a car crash than really something that's like planned in the way that we forgive ourselves too. It, I don't, I just don't know. And I always expect it to be this perfect tidy thing that is like, oh, well, I want this part to change, but not the rest of it. And it, it gets, we get surprised with it almost sometimes. Not, not to trigger Lindsay here too much, but it's like a new year's resolution. No. Y'all are never going to let me live it down of how passionate I was about that. <laughs> I, I 
think that when it comes to self-forgiveness, part of what makes it so challenging um, is that uh, we have this internal monologue where we start saying things like, I can't believe you made that choice, or I can't believe you did that thing. Um, but we always uh, kind of juxtapose our current self on top of our past self, as though our current self that is experienced more, knowledgeable about more, uh, learned some, uh, could go in a time machine back to that moment and have made a different choice. Um, when oftentimes, yes, we all make bad choices, uh, but rarely are we making those bad choices in the moment, knowing they're a bad choice. So a lot of times we make them believing that we're probably making the best choice for ourselves with the information we have. Hmm. Um, but since we learn after that, then our present day selves, uh, can't, teleport or even remember what it was like pre-knowing that information. So that's why we beat ourselves up more and more about things that we did in our past. So for example, I mean, like all of us thought that we were incredibly smart at 18 years old. I was. Okay. Y'all were. Um, or at least Michael was, um, <laughs> cause Evan's like, yeah, your face was like, don't let me in there. No, um, I'm in a, I'm in a Michael. <laughs> I'm tunneling through like some thought processes and connections. Okay. It's just, this and, just isn't something we talk about a ton. Yeah. And so our 18 year old selves, uh, thought that we were, uh, you know, invincible on top of the world, really smart, um, and totally independent. Like I've got this, I've got life. My guess is, is that, uh, y'all, um, and myself included probably made a few choices at 18 that looking back on it now, you're like, what, why did I think that? And it doesn't have to be something totally destructive. It can be something smaller, but just like, why was that a good idea? Um, and your adult self now can look back and be mad why did I make those choices? Why did I skip those classes? Uh, why did I date that person? Why did I, you know, go on spring break to this location? Why did we, I spend too much money, whatever. I'm trying to cover the bases. Um, but we know different things now as adults. And so we would have made different choices. We really thought that we were making good decisions at 18 because we thought we knew everything. Um, so it's hard to beat ourselves up for our 18 year old selves that, uh, did know, like operated within what we did know at mm. that time. Mm. Okay. So here's some questions about forgiveness. Then when it comes to self-forgiveness, if we forgive ourselves for harming someone else, do we also have to ask for their forgiveness? Is it, are they connected? Is it required? So like if I harm someone, I want to know that they forgive me, but I also have to forgive myself for letting myself down to some capacity. So can I, do, do they both have to happen? Is it required? What does, what does the, the Bible say about that? Are there cut and dry rules? Bible scholar, Michael. Uh, I go back to Lindsay's talk about confession and the power of confession in, I, 
I don't think that they are required. Like, I don't think you forgiving yourself in order to experience that forgiveness must also seek forgiveness from the person you harmed. But I also think it can be pretty powerful to, to confess that you recognize that you harmed them and whether or not, whether, whether or not they offer you forgiveness is a different thing, but you know, for for me to hear as, as someone who's been harmed by someone else, for them to recognize that they harmed me and that they regret that and they've come to terms with the realization that they harmed me would probably be one of the most powerful experiences a person can have. Because if you if, if you're truly harmed by this person and you've carried that with you, and then for that to be recognized and know that you're not crazy because that's usually what we think oh well i'm just blowing this out of proportion i i this wasn't really this is all me i just misunderstood the situation but then for that person to come to me and say i recognize that i harmed you in a really important way and i just i want you to know that i i'm sorry and i i realize i've done harm here and i don't expect you to to forgive me or for us to restore our relationship but i just want you to know that i i see what i did and i regret it that's a that's a pretty powerful healing tool for people. Mm. I to ask somebody for forgiveness. Um, my gut therapist reaction uh, says that feels kind of selfish, um, and there can be weird power dynamics in that. Mm. Uh, that. Um, especially depending on what your roles and relationships are kind of like forcing somebody uh, it, it can feel forceful to say, you know, do you forgive me? Will um, you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Please because, forgive me. Yeah. Because that, um, yeah, it, I think that's the difference it, between it, it feels like it takes away their power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A difference from recognizing you caused harm and confessing that to the person than saying, at the end of that saying, please forgive me. Would you please forgive me? Will you forgive me? Which, which really, I think in many ways is an additional form of harm Mm -hmm. in its own way. Yeah. Requiring. um, It's like, it's like telling the other person you have to get over your hurt. Mm. Okay. Oh, Michael, do you have something else to add? I have, I'll be done. Shoehorn us into our neck. I, I was just going to say, I, it, I think of the difference between we've used this example a lot shame and guilt. Like, I think that uh, self forgiveness is about absolving shame. Mm-hmm. shame. Shame is that I did a bad thing because I'm a bad person, where guilt is I did a bad thing. And so, shifting from I did a bad thing because I'm a bad person to I did a bad thing is a healthy form of self forgiveness. You know, I can't take away that I harmed this person w- at this point in my life, and I did something that was harmful. Uh, I don't want to escape the guilt. I mean, I want to, but but forgiveness is not about escaping the guilt, but it's about freeing us from the shame. We're not a bad person because we did a bad thing. We just are a person who did a bad thing. And going mm-hmm. back and naming that to the person whom we harmed is is a form of liberation for that person and for us it's it's in hope breaking that cycle of harm that's that's been created and then but to push it to 
asking them to forgive you is you trying to escape guilt in many ways mm-hmm. that the and, and guilt is what helps us become a better person it's a tool to, to improve our the way we interact mm. with others Ooh. okay last one is forgiveness required for healing some have said that you cannot heal it is not possible to heal until you've forgiven is that true Again, I think that we keep using the word forgiven or forgiveness like it's this light switch moment. Like you're either forgiven or you're not. You forgive yourself or you don't. I think it is a process. Um, So I think that if you, if we go back to like the fourfold path, uh, if we're not working through the process of forgiveness of self or others, uh, then we're not working through any form of healing. Uh, but I don't think that if you don't reach the end goal or final destination moment of full blown forgiveness, I don't think that means that you aren't healing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if what the final destination of forgiveness necessarily looks like looks like, you know, because if it is a in many ways an ongoing uh, ever present way of being is searching out and and renaming, remembering, naming the hurt, uh, granting forgiveness in it. And then deciding whether you're going to carry that with you or, or you're going to depart with it. You know, you're going to re- re-engage that relationship or let it go. I think if that's how we frame what forgiveness is, the act of forgiveness, then I think I would say that it would be extraordinarily challenging for you to find wholeness in your life if you block those pro- pro- those processes from from a place of hurt. Right? Mm-hmm. If if you're if you're resistant for naming what happened, identifying what the hurt is, and then walking through that process, I think that becomes hate. And hate mm-hmm. is the kind of destructive force that can live within us that is is sort of the equivalent to shame. Shame is a form of sort of hating oneself. And then hating someone else has that same kind of power. And it and it permeates our lives. And it, it, it it's just destructive force. Mm-hmm. Well, I hate that we have to wrap up. <laughs> what a cheesy transition to just yank us out of. <laughs> Only thing. Oh, my goodness. If you'd start off, would you forgive me? But I, I hate to do this. <laughs> you know me. I can't sit in something for more than 15 seconds without cracking a joke. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Michael and Lindsay, for all your thoughts and wisdom and your friendship. I cherish it. I'm grateful for your friendship, too. Leave <laughs> space for Michael to say something. <laughs> well, I was I was thinking about uh, how, how <laughs> just, just how friendship is is one of those antidotes to hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's finding people that you know and trust that you can you can share these kinds of moments with who whom you trust 
to be able to share these moments is a great anecdote to the to the heart we experience in life. And, and then just put it all on the internet. That's right. I'm, just record yourselves <laughs> and let the whole I'm every time we record together, I'm really grateful that we have dialogue about us wrestling with things that we can share what we know and what we have learned to this point with one another, but we can also ask hard questions or say, I don't know this part. And so, um, I mean, today we, we said several times about like naming lots of tangible ways to forgive. And, and we sort of named this fourfold process and gave a couple one-offs here and there, but it, it's very clear that we're all still wrestling and there's not some clear cookie cutter way uh, to manage forgiveness. Um, and so I'm really grateful for the space with y'all that we can uh, wrestle and explore and ask questions. And also the more questions we ask, the bigger the concept of forgiveness seems to grow of like how much we know or, and don't know. Um, so thanks for this space, y'all. I want to leave you with one little nugget because I, I know that there are some of you who wish to experience forgiveness from people that are no longer with us. You recognize that you've hurt someone or maybe you've held hurt for a long time because of what someone else did to you. And they're no longer with us and, and you don't have that opportunity or it's not possible for you to reach out to them and, and, and either confess or experience the confession. I think that we're given one of the tools that we're given as humans is are these ideas, uh, these, these um, what, I, what I call sacramental moments. In the church, we have uh, different kinds of we, in our tradition, we have two sacraments, um, baptism and communion. And those are, those are both experiences in which we recognize God's forgiveness for us. They are and means of grace. They, yeah, experiencing grace, both with us and with others. We do it in communion with each other. Um, and so I invite you, if you're, if you're experiencing that kind of hurt or that kind of longing for forgiveness in a situation that can't be dealt with, that you find some sacramental way in which you can whether that means lighting a candle, you share a special meal, you um, you write a letter and you you burn it. Like come up come up with some way in which you can sacramentalize that act of either seeking forgiveness or granting forgiveness that you wish you could do to restore your relationships uh, and to break the cycle of hurt that you've had in your life. Those are those are to me tools that I have found really helpful for me in my past, and especially in those relationships that I can't go back to and I can't make amends with. And so I just want to offer that if, if you're experiencing that kind of hurt. If you need help doing that, that is something and, and struggling to do that on your own or wrestling with how to start even that, uh, that ritual, uh, call a therapist, reach out, book somebody online. Um, I mean, these days you can do virtual counseling from home uh, and have somebody, uh, I was about to say, sit with you in that journey. Um, right along with you. Right along with you in that journey. Um, and all the things that Michael said were practical tools are fantastic. In counseling, sometimes I've even uh, done an empty chair exercise where the other chair uh, 
nobody sits in it, but you talk to the person as though they're there um, or ask them questions as though they're there. Uh, and sometimes that dialogue is what we need as well. Um, but those are some rituals that you can do on your own as well as uh, know that you don't have to be alone to wrestle through this. Um, call somebody, seek support. Um, as you hopefully see evidenced in these episodes, uh, the three of us make sure we don't do life alone. Um, we do life with one another. Um, and uh, that involves confession, that involves probably hurting one another, that involves celebrating together. Um, we do life together. Um, so I hope that uh, you too have people to do life with and to wrestle about these topics with. And if you don't right now, um, I mean, send us a note. We'd be happy to uh, explore these topics with you and have conversations or answer more questions for y'all. Thanks for listening. Appreciate Amen. it. Thanks, everybody. See you next episode.